Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 31 of Talking About Immersive Theatre or TATE for short, which is T-A-I-T, just so there's no confusion there. <laughs> so in this episode, I talk to Trajectory Theatre and um, their approach is a little bit different to people I've spoken to before because they're involved in augmented and virtual reality. So without further ado, I shall let you sink your teeth into the episode. So I'm here in the Zoomosphere with Roderick Morgan, who's the Artistic Director of Trajectory Theatre, and Thomas Jankis. Uh, thank you both so much for joining me. So I thought um, the best way to start would be to tell me a little bit about yourselves. Um, Rob, could we start with you as the artistic director? Do you want to just say a little bit about sort of your background, your training, and how you kind of got involved in theatre, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been making theatre since a very, very young age. I have vague memories of, of having a very small part in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at, I don't know, four or five. Um, I, I think I was an Oompa Loompa. It's, it's flashes. <laughs> um, I directed my first play when I was 19, 20, when I sort of mm -hmm. did my undergrad. Um, that was over in New Zealand. Um, and so I came over to London in 2010, um, really started getting to making immersive theatre because things like that haven't made it to New Zealand yet. Um, you know, <laughs> we're very behind in all aspects, but like particularly culture, it takes about 10 years for cultural phenomena <laughs> to get to New Zealand. So when I arrived, you know, that, that, was, that took my interest immediately. Um, and so from there, um, I went back to do my master's at Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Uh, and that was uh, 2015, which turned out to be very good timing because that's also around the, the time you've got the um, Oculus um, uh, DK2 headset sort of coming out and the Google yeah. glasses, uh, Google Cardboard, sorry. So, so yeah, two, 2015 was this sudden uh, watershed year for, for available VR tech. And I just happened to have a year where all I was doing was thinking about theatre. Um, and so I was able to spend that year thinking mm -hmm. about theatre and, and VR and, and AR and all these digital elements that I've been interested in for a long time, but never mm -hmm. really combined them with my practice. Um, and uh, trajectory theatre formed out of out of that really. So um, it's had sort of a number of different uh, people involved with it over the years. I've kind of been the constant. Um, we did. We were originally called um, uh, Transcendence. Uh, ah, oh, that, that's that's quite a sexy name, isn't it? We stole it from an episode of South Park, uh, and the reason we had to change it is because I could never spell it correctly. So I'd always give people the email address and spell it wrong. Um, so, we, um, so yeah, so uh, it became Trajectory Theatre, which I still as, as occasionally spell wrong, but it's a little bit more obvious when that, when that happens. Um, and in 2019, we became a registered charity. Um, uh, so um, now our charitable aims are to advance public appreciation of the immersive uh, digital arts with a emphasis on, on uh, integration of emergent and emerging technologies with theatre practice. Brilliant. And we're going to come back to some of those things that I sort of want to pull out and talk to you. Do you know, were you at Central when Gareth White, did you have much contact with Gareth White because he teaches there? Yes. Yeah, I did um, mm. uh, a couple of uh, things with him. I've actually got, I think I've got two of his um, books on my bookshelf. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I can, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure. I have all of his books on my book. <laughs> Rob, it's a podcast. You can lie. You can say, oh, oh right, look, yes. I'm holding them in my hands. <laughs> Very easy reading. 
actually, I would I would say that they are definitely not easy reading, but they are worth they are worth the push through. If if yeah. that's what you're interested in, people are listening. Um, Gareth's work work was very early in that kind of immersive. Actually, some of it predating Macon's work, if I am not incorrect. <laughs> yeah, I mean her. So um, yeah, her the book that I can definitely see is um, uh, her immersive theatres. But mm. I mean that that changed the entire way that I made theatre after reading that. Um, mm. And you know, like that. So when did that come out? I've got it here. That it was was 2013. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the, the sort of great things in the last kind of uh, five or six years is that you know I've I've been meeting people who she's interviewed in the book. Like I remember reading that book, and being like, "Oh, this is blowing me away!" And like you know, mm -hmm. through this digital practice, like. I'm like meeting these people and, and I'm in rooms with them and it's, uh, yeah, it's still sometimes I can't believe that. Um, it's exciting, isn't it? And uh, yeah. the community is very small. Well, before we sort of launch into lots, uh, sort of pulling out <laughs> some of those threads, yeah. Tom, tell us about you and your background and how you kind of your journey into trajectory. <laughs> Hi, um, yeah, uh, I'm Tom. Um, I'm trying to, this again, like, I'm trying to think about what Rob said. It's like, what was one of my first early roles? I think I played Child in Play, where I was like, he wore a jumper. Um, actually, I was, I was at an immersive conference a few years ago where people were sort of going, oh, you know, these are my influences. And, you know, people were like, oh, you know, Tom Waits really inspired me. And I went, when I was little, I went to a, pan a like a Sesame Street show where they moved us near the front so some birds could come out of the audience, take my father, dress him up as a bird and make him eat bird seed. And in my little brain, I was like, I will be the one who is in control now. <laughs> no one will steal my father. And of course I brought it up at that conference and someone else was like, also like Lecoq, and he was like, yes, Lecoq's also very good. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, was that the immersive conference run by Becky from Specific? That, well, that, that, well, I was at that one. This one was a few years before, and this is, the, oh. this is the problem, that you're all up on your details. So you're like, oh, this one. I was like, I think it was in Cambridge. Um, oh, so actually, that can- go to that Yeah, <laughs> so um, this was, um, was actually a good thing. Uh, so for a few years, I was part of a well, still technically are, a company called The Butlers, which was like a, a I'm trying to think of at the time what we responsive group where we would be dressed as butlers. It'd be a 24 hour thing. We would give out our, our number and we would perform any task that didn't incur cost or mental or physical harm which meant we would be delivering people messages. Uh, there's a few times that some people were like, I don't want to be in my show. It is a butler, you go play the butler. Uh, we've done engagements. I uh, I bought condoms and bananas for the artist director of Summer Hall because he wanted to see what I would do and thought it was funny that I looked slightly embarrassed. You know, So as that sort of like <laughs> the idea of just going, I suppose when you're getting into it, it's like, yes, I am I'm providing a service and this is fun, but I also have the ability to just go, no, you're being mean and I don't want to do that, mm -hmm. which has all been good for, for practice. Um, 2015 Central was also very good because that's when Rob met me. How <laughs> the, did you meet yeah. on your course? <laughs> yes, uh, I'd like to think all, if you were like picturing all these stories, like the camera now pans over like a couple of feet, oh, I'm just there going, hello. <laughs> uh yeah uh so that's 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 how that's how we met and i suppose we'll get into how our new show happened but it was rob and i stayed in touch with each other i'm trying to, again this is where i'm just like what's my practice uh i've been making most of stuff for probably about 10 12 years um mm -hmm. 
I think I sort of the I made a show when I was doing my degree and my director said, oh, I think you'd like immersive stuff. And his starting point was watch footage of Dionysus in 69. You can't do a lot of that stuff. And I was like, what if I could? He was like, I'm going, I'll, I'll take you so far. You can't have people making out or having actual sex. And I was like, noted good um so so that that's that's sort of my starting point and also like again going to edinburgh and belt mm. up belt up was very influential for me um yeah. to the fact that i saw them before i saw punch drunk so when so when i finally did see punch drunk and i was like oh this is i do just want to have conversations with people though and they're like no yeah, no no talking no talking, <laughs> no talking. um Apart from in America, when I went to um, when I went to the Sleep No More in New yeah. York, audience kept lifting their masks and chatting to each other constantly. So, well, that was a, so. I when I saw your drowned man, I, I started following someone. Went down the corridor, and he suddenly sort of turned around and went, "Can I help you?" And I was like, and "He's like, no, we'll, we'll clear out." I sort of lift my mask. I was like, "I was following you." He's like, "Oh no, no, you're not supposed to be back here." Uh, you go, and I was just like. Well, no, the immersion. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just like, because now when you're seeing like, because people on the Discord who are like, oh, I intentionally like basically broke into this door just to see what was behind it and then just have someone going, you cannot be here. You have broken the game. <laughs> Leave. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, there's like a whole thing. I think Adam Alston writes about this, all of the sort of accidentals and incidentals and kind of bad bad audience behavior at yeah. immersive work but actually like you said you know if you're following someone what what how, how what are the indications that you can't do that and also there's mm. sometimes this playfulness set up isn't there so if something says no entry you're like do you mean that or is that a clue <laughs> <laughs> is there something special <laughs> or secret for me behind this door if i choose to trespass that and so i think it is difficult to know yeah you're not supposed to do something and also to go right it, it's almost like that, the weird thing like say like, i know gatsby has to do this now where this one comes out and goes hello this isn't a character thing these are the rules don't please stop grabbing our staff you know but also that when people like but that's that's the problem where you're like hey i could break rules yes yes you can also try being a human just just putting <laughs> that just putting that out there i'm so glad you said that yeah. because i think some people see especially in punch drunk's work or not just punch drunk i'm sorry punch drunk all i ever see to criticize you and i do oh. but it, that anonymity does seem to give permission for people to behave in ways that you're not that you just wouldn't behave to other human beings mm. and it's like you you have a mask on yes you're anonymous yes but that doesn't give you permission to you know sexually assault people for example yeah. <laughs> or to, to just behave in really inappropriate ways but there's got to be something about that contract that facilitates and enables that because like you said it's not even just at punch drunks work it happens at a lot of those ones that are sort of hedonistic mm. and i think there's there is a lot still to be pulled out about the role of the bar and the gym and all of yes. these sorts of things that heighten those experiences mm. influence people's behaviors i was talking to someone actually at the uh, the conference that becky was running uh where we were talking about accessibility and this is i feel bad because i can't remember who said it but saying while there is a bar that affects a certain amount of accessibility you know the sort of the and then of course other people were like but that's how we make our money and you're yeah. like yeah. noted but maybe maybe we shouldn't just 
or everyone should just have some lovely apple juice. Some lovely apple juice as you go around the Great Gatsby. <laughs> But yeah, so I think behaviours, and I think, but, but I do think certain methods or approaches do couch or give permission implicitly for some of those behaviours to happen. Mm. And there's just not enough audience research, and this is one of my mm. big things, because there's a lot of speculative audience research, but there's not an actual great deal of audience research based on actual audiences and actual mm. audience behaviour. And I do think, you know, the audiences at the heart of, of this mm. form and what we do and so I do think there's a responsibility especially from scholarship to, to start to try and figure out why some of those things happen and sort of the conceptual and theoretical structures that facilitate some of the behaviors or some of the habits mm. that audiences have kind of formed but that's my little run I'm like there needs to be more actual audience research. <laughs> 100% agree you know actually when I was um, when I was doing my degree that was that was one of the sections we did where we were talking about like the unspoken contract you have and then mm -hmm. part of it was that we were actually Rob can come back into this because Rob did a very similar thing you did the, the thing that came known as the slappening if I'm not wrong wasn't the it slapping, yeah that was yeah. Uh, yeah, um, certainly caused a bit of a stir around um, around our degree at the time. So essentially it was a series of events uh, which all just focused around the idea of two people uh, slapping each other. Um, mm -hmm. So in various forms, uh, various rules were attached to these, but essentially you have one person standing on one side and another person standing on the other side. Mostly this was people from the audience who had sort of volunteered to put themselves in one of these positions. Uh, and one person would slap the other person. And sometimes you slap them with a fish or with a rolled up newspaper or just at the, um, the back of your hand. And we were presenting um, uh, our sort of findings, our research for this and, and uh, a question that came from the audience that I had absolutely no time for was, um, you know, well, what if you, you know, injure the other person? And I was like, mm -hmm. well, then they get injured. You know, there's, there's, there isn't some magical theatre thing that, that prevents that. Yeah. You're in this position We, you know, if you hit someone and, and you break their nose, then their nose is broken. And that's the thing that's occurred. So you need to be- <laughs> You need to be prepared to deal with that, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting as well, because I, I get this sense um, sort of implicitly in what you're talking about, that there is this real understanding and real connection with sort of fluxes and happenings and those really kind of out there experiments of the 70s, which are really close to my heart, too, because I would say my practice is very influenced by live art performance art, which comes <laughs> from that tradition. And you're right, it's about the committing of acts. And once the act, you know, the act is, is real, like you're saying, you know, it's not theatre. It's yeah. not magic. There's no illusion or, 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 or sort of pretense. It's that doing it for real, but there's a contract in that, isn't there as well? It's like, if I do this, it has these consequences and stepping up and accepting those, there's a consent, informed consent. I think there's this idea in safeguarding that everything has to be safe. And I actually don't agree with that. I think it has to be considered, absolutely. <laughs> And there has to be consent and there has to be informed consent but actually risk risk is that what makes this exciting isn't mm. it what we do and and the fact that there are imaginary uh, sort of implications but also real world implications mm. don't we all hope for transformation isn't that <laughs> that one of the ultimate things that an audience i know for me as an audience that's what i'm chasing mm. down is the possibility of transformation and as a maker i sort of hope that 
for my audiences, but transformation can't happen without without risk. Tom, is it your, are you the one with the, the doorknob anecdote? I, I, I'm trying to remember. Am I the one with the doorknob anecdote? I mean, I will. I, yeah. I don't remember you, where I've heard this anecdote from. And I, yeah. you, I will. I will tell it. And if it suddenly <laughs> turns out that this was you, um, I'll, I'll suddenly go. Oh yeah. So yeah, there was a show at some point in some place, and uh, at the end of the, the performance, uh, the performer uh, leaves, um, and they put a doorknob uh, in the centre of the stage, and they walk out this door. Um, and then the idea is that that someone from the audience will pick up this doorknob and fit it into the door and open the door and then everyone can leave. Uh, and the first person to go up, um, whoever it was that told me this anecdote, basically went up, opened the door with the doorknob, slid the doorknob out, closed the door behind them, and that was it. The rest of the audience were locked in. <laughs> and I think in that, you know, uh, I think there's a series of decisions behind that, like uh, the, you know, the audience member themselves personally did this that was a transgression that you know was allowed for and that played within the rules of the performance but completely kind of changed everything and i think allowing for opportunities like that is, is really great no no that wasn't me but i like the air bud rules They're like nothing says that i can't lock the audience in there for the rest <laughs> of their lives yeah. well the thing is actually that that's what we have to be mindful of and that, that's what we have to take care of isn't it the, in the invitation that we proffer if you you have to know the different possibilities of what might happen, mm. but also accept those. But so I think the mindfulness and the carefulness comes in making the proposition in the first place, but also knowing the ways that it can be transgressed. Yeah. Because once you that you know that doorknob in the middle of the stage is a hugely open invitation for numerous. Someone could have just pocketed it and just <laughs> sat there and kept everyone prisoner. <laughs> as well because I mean, thieving is a big thing in immersive theatre isn't it for audiences the amount of stories that I hear about items being pilfered and having to be replaced constantly <laughs> is a source of aggravation to creative producers <laughs> have you found that at all in your work because I'm, I'm going to back or sort of back to talk about uh, I don't want to sort of go to matters tangent but you have some beautiful objects in circus in a bottle and have you had any sort of pilfering so far no because the advantage is i'm pretty present the entire time and then yes. just sort of like although it's sort of, sort of people trying i'm like no no you don't <laughs> this goes back in the suitcase uh i suppose also the advantage is that rob is also present for that but yes no sort of but I know, I know. It, maybe that is something we curve into. You like? Do you want trinkets? Because everyone seems to love to take a trinket, as he said, like yeah. to have a little feely or something. Which, uh, um, I mean, part of, part of what we do is right near the beginning. Uh, I make it. I make an offer. You know, sort of. I say because basically it's a con, but it's also I give the audience a mint, which I think on the whole everyone took, which was nice. Yeah. Although some people were like, "Is there LSD in this?" <laughs> I was like. I couldn't possibly comment, you know, it's very sealed, but uh, no, so far, um, actually, I'm sort of like, this is where you're just scanning through all the shows. No one, no one has managed to walk off with anything yet. Mm. I, I think there's been a couple of times where little, little hands have reached out and we're like, oh, no. <laughs> back into the suitcase that goes. <laughs> um, well, I think you're right, because you give something as well, because mm. I love to go away with something. I don't pilfer things myself, mm. but only because I kind of know everybody. So that mm. would be really shocking of me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I keep, I keep 
things, anything that I'm sort of given through my sort of journey, through anything, I keep because I love having stuff. And I still have the mint from Zekas oh. in a bottle. They didn't eat mine. I kept which is kind of nuts because I always do that. Even if it's booty, I sort of, well, unless it's, you know, goes off. Yeah. <laughs> and then I photograph it, then eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's really drink it. But let me yeah. back off back. Sorry, go on, Tom. I was going to say, that's, that's <laughs> the same thing. The number of, like, I'm not going to say tat because that would be rude, but things of like from shows like even like um, again a show Rob did at Central which involved sand and like in a little bottle. I've still got my little sand bottle up on a shelf somewhere. And then like when I when I was moving house when you know my parents came, I was like, right, you're going to see a lot of stuff that looks like rubbish. It absolutely isn't. No. I don't. I, I like to know it exists. <laughs> I always need like a little like souvenir room, you know, just to open it up and just go, ah, <laughs> look at all the things. And I, I like there was another show I went to where they were like, oh, sometimes we give like little items to people if we think they're being too rambunctious, you know, to just note it. And I was like, I got given a little item. I, I thought I was doing a good job. And just that, that paranoia of just going, oh no, <laughs> did you befuddle me? Did you trick did you me? Did you think you got a reward for being the best audience? Yes. <laughs> I thought I got a gift for being a little cutie and being so keen. And I, I don't, I, I don't think it was because it was sort of like, like, oh, these are like the components for the spell, you know, and this will protect you. So it was sort of like a little bag, which had like a little seed, a little feather. And a little... I was like, if that is the way they note your trouble, that's crazy <laughs> to go to all that effort and you know, just go, here you go. Here's a little toy. Are you happy now? I'm like, very happy. I'm the best. I've won immersive. <laughs> I've won this show. <laughs> Maybe they important. think it would distract you, like, because you've got, like, some stuff yeah. that will, like, take your focus away. Absolutely. Yeah, what would you say, Rob? Uh, it's important to know that, that Tom is well known as a audience participation lightning rod. So if he goes to a show and there is, there is uh, you can interact with an audience or give something to an audience, nine out of ten times it will be Tom that, that gets chosen. I've just got big bright eyes and I'm like, <laughs> yes, I would like to do the thing. <laughs> I'm I'm totally with you there, Tom. I'm always the one who's like me, me, me. Yeah. <laughs> Super keen. So I just want to circle mm. back to um some of the things, Rob, that you were talking about when you um sort of introduced directly there. So part of your remit I I know is to one intersect with emergent technologies and secondly is to get your work to difficult to reach or underserved audiences. So that is a very large subject. So let's let's look at the tech first, if that's okay. If you want to sort of talk about what brought you to working, I mean, obviously you talked a little bit about this earlier with Oculus Rift, but how do you sort of navigate bringing that tech into your process and, and sort of merging that with theatre? Um, so there is, it's, it's very much a, um, a case of uh, do as I say, not as I do, because I, I have a habit of uh, getting very excited about the technology and thinking, okay, I want to use this technology, how can I do it? And that's not what you should do. That is the number one thing I always tell people. <laughs> if you let the technology serve the idea, not the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but quite often I have a very bad habit of, of uh, doing it uh, yeah, in reverse. Um, but, but really that's, that's what it's about. It's, you know, um, 
it's about looking at where the sort of the, the pain points are or where the problems are or where, you know, in order to tell that story, there is that little thing that you need and going, okay, what bits of technology can we can we slap in here and paste it? And um and you know, uh what is it, addition by subtraction, that kind of design formula is is so true when it comes to technology, because you basically want absolutely the, the smallest amount of technology, the technology will uh, will be troublesome and difficult and expensive. And again, uh, another mm -hmm. point where uh, it's, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because I just love throwing technology <laughs> stuff and overloading it. And um, I think coming into uh, to, uh, to this project, Circus in the Bottle uh, specifically, um, because this project has been going on for a very long time and due to COVID, there was a number of occasions where we were supposed to put it in front of audiences and we just couldn't. Um, and so, you know, in that void where I'm just like adding kind of functions that that I think are really cool. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is amazing. Look, I managed to make it do that. And before this particular showing in, in March, I had to strip most of that out because either it didn't work or it was uh, too um, likely to cause issues um, or we just didn't have time. And I just like, you know, started gutting it and got to the core. And that's really what it is. It's, it's you know, you use technology to just cover those, those core parts, as little of it, um, as, and use it as directly as possible. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my principle. And um, so how do you come across the technology? Is it kind of stuff you already know about and you've had a play with and you're like, I want to use this kit. This is like a super fun toy. What can I do with this? So I've been very lucky um, because I have, I've basically more or less run trajectory part-time until about last year. And outside of that, I was working in, so I worked with the, um, the National Theatre's Immersive Storytelling Studio for a number of years. Uh, I worked with Story Futures Academy, uh, which is a, a government-funded research project at Royal Holloway, which is all about um, using sort of technology for storytelling. But I've been in a very lucky position where I've been exposed to that stuff um, yeah. nearly constantly, which has helped me build my skills and my know-how uh, in ways that you know it's it's quite oh, difficult to do. There's a very big gap in this. Um, in this kind of industry between that sort of initial hey isn't this interesting workshop for two days and you know actually being able to build up skills in a um, reliable way over over a long period of time um, well like you said i think that research context is really interesting isn't it because that gives often access to this kind of work and i know i don't know if you know her at all professor helen kennedy who works up at nottingham yes um, i know she's working sort of with similar technologies and she also feels very keenly that there is this huge gap of who who gets to access these things, who gets to play with it. And I know that a lot of immersive makers, especially ones who come from a theatre background, who started with that kind of tactile in that tactile space, either have um, a fear of engaging with technology because they're worried that it will take over what they do, or they just simply have no know-how or access to that tech, and so don't know even where to begin. To start integrating it into their work so and then you end up paying someone lots and lots of money to to do that um yeah, and just say so uh, uh, helen kennedy she was actually part of the research team that uh allowed us the seed funding to make this circus show uh, with wow, the NSR projects yeah back in 2019 was it Tom? I, I think so this is this is always the problem that we've sat down and like how long has this show been going on is it like five years but yes yeah, so um XR was a, it was 
trying to bring together sort of virtual reality immersive and circus practitioners and so that's that's what happened with us that uh, rob was like hey you do immersive i do the the tech we'll bring it we brought someone um someone else in to do the circus everyone else was circus performers <laughs> and so it was really sort of like uh like they were we were in the spiegel tent in brighton so yeah. all the circus performers were doing like really beautiful like high wire stuff we had built a wooden box that we were sitting outside <laughs> this chunky box doing doing an early version of the show but yes yeah, so that was that was Mm-hmm. Again, sort of, and for us, that that was really interesting because we were coming going, okay, we know a little bit about sort of like immersive and about like the tech side. We don't know much about the circus. And so like the people who were like circus practitioners got very excited and started being able to go, well, actually, there's some really interesting stories. And that's how we started making our show because we were like, oh, there's a lot of interesting narrative stuff here. And also that same sort of, as I said, like using using our tech where we're saying, I think it might have actually been you who said, oh, this is very like Pepper's Ghost. And we were like, yeah. yes, exactly. This is what we wanted, this old sort of, I think one of the first things Rob said is like, this is like the old flea circus, that same sort of, but I think that idea of like, which I think is fascinating, that we've taken something very technically advanced and taken it all the way back to like the turn of the 19th century and just going, it's just ghosts, it's just spooky ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes. So, yes. <laughs> I think uh, when you said Helen, both of us went, ah! <laughs> like, yeah. like I said, it's a small community, academically yes. and pra- practitioners too. Mm. What are the biggest challenges then of working with technology and sort of integrating that? Um, for you, what have you found, especially in building um, Circus in the Bottle? Um, I mean, I think there's, there's challenges for me and probably the challenges for other people, which I think are very different. Because I think the main challenge that most people find are uh, the the lack of skills and the high value that are assigned to those skills. Um, and because in this project and all other projects, I do that coding myself. Um, I sort of push myself to, to learn these things. I find it very rewarding, sometimes challenging, but ultimately it's something I enjoy doing. Um, so, so specifically for me, and this is something that, that's starting to change, it's often the, um, the sort of price of, of entry, like the, the actual cost of getting hold of uh, tech, because, you know, I could get hold of a headset to build something on and to, to, um, to kind of learn on. And then it's like, okay, well, you need to deliver this to X amount of people in order to make this uh, a viable uh, performance work to do. And then you need, you know, what, 20 headsets, 30 headsets, you need this bit of tech, you need that. Um, mm. that, yeah, that is a, a definite challenge. And that's done change simply because um, there's a lot of kind of tech coming out, which means that old stuff is is losing value. Uh, this show uh, is a really good example of that. So in um, one of the reviews that we got, which was from uh, Shelley, it's uh, Snyder, right? Yeah, yeah. Or if it's um, uh, No Proceedings. No Proceedings. It was a very nice review that she wrote up. That uh, one of the things that she was like, "Oh, it's it's uh, so great that you know small companies are able to get hold of this technology." Um, and of course, uh, the fact of the matter is that the, the Magic Leap headsets that we're using are more or less abandonware at this point. Uh, they launched to uh, a very high price point. Uh, they had very bad developer relationships, which means no one made content for them, which means that no one wanted to buy the headset. Uh, the whole thing was a bit of a mess. That they're hopefully going to rework with the, the next Magic Leap. Um, but it meant that by the time, you know, uh, by the time we came to sort of need lots of headsets, they were, uh, you know, a fifth of the price that they were when they launched because no one wanted them. <laughs> yeah. And 
Yeah, and as tech, as new stuff comes out, it means old headsets are just, you know, littering eBay, stuff that no one wants that artists can come along and get on the cheap uh, and use, you know, as long as you can work around the sort of uh, the drawbacks of slightly older technology, you can mm -hmm. now, uh, yeah. And I, I think there's, um, I've been reading a lot as well now, they're saying that there's a huge amount of tech waste on top of our sort of, you know, landfill waste. Um, and that there needs to start to be either refunctioning or uh, recycling of some of these things. And so it's really lovely to hear you say that because I think tech is seen as a barrier because of the price point often and because of accessibility to it. But sometimes, and I think ZUK do this really well, they refunction some sort of everyday or again, old technologies within that performance frame. And so I think that that's a really interesting avenue I think that could be mined and explored is sort of accessing that not obsolete tech but tech that's on its way there yeah because the really <laughs> big thing with the uh, phone booths right Wasn't yes yeah yeah I mean when was the last time you picked up a receiver in a, <laughs> yeah. in a, in a telephone yeah. box <laughs> I mean most of the ones I see now are either libraries or food banks basically mm. telephone yeah. boxes they haven't got working phones in them anymore um so I wanted to, uh, and I'll, I'll come back, I think, in a minute to talking about um, sort of reaching audiences, but I wanted to just press this a little bit more and talk about the funding. So, of course, we've, we've mentioned quite a few times that it is expensive, that it does create barriers. So how have you been able to facilitate sort of the funding of, uh, you know, building Circus in a Bottle and other work? How have you managed to make that work sustainable and pay for itself? I mean, it hasn't, to be honest. So we, me and Tom have invested large amounts of time, you know, uh, mm. in unpaid labor as, as we in the theater industry are very familiar with, especially <laughs> um, and that's, and because the development has been done between the two of us, um, you know, if I was to put a price on how much that development time would cost, it would be tens of thousands easily. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know we have a passion for this and we we want to sort of see this work and and um and i guess that's the the great thing about this kind of work versus kind of more traditional theater is that that investment and in time um sort of like uh it creates a product that's slightly longer lasting i mean if you spend a couple of months uh rehearsing with actors for uh for a show you know you've got your sets that you can put away you have to pay to sort of store them and next time you come to do the show, you need to get a whole new set of, of performers. And, and mm -hmm. uh, with this kind of work, because we have this kind of build and we can lift, lift, let this build sit on the cloud and then, you know, we can come back in 10 years and we'd need a, we'd need a Barker character to, to come and, and uh, rehearse, but, you know, it's slightly easier to do. So there is a longevity in this that the investment kind of yeah. makes it worthwhile and that we hope to sort of see as we expand and extend the show, hope to see that sort of pay off. Um, and it's, it's the story that I hear all the time, you know, people always just take into account cost costs but actually the cost of time mm. for creatives especially working in this uh, this area is is always the bit that's sort of given which i'm hoping eventually will, will change but um it's like you said it's necessary isn't it? it's passion it's what it's what drives it forward and a lot of us especially like myself and it sounds like for you have other things that pay the bills and then this is done in the gaps and the spaces between to keep things mm sort of moving along but I think it's important to talk about it as well because I think finances especially you know I deal with a lot of students and people who are just emerging artists coming into the field 
who are like, how do these people access this? How do they pay for this? How does this happen? And um, so it's good to hear sort of honest accounts of, of no, this, this doesn't pay for itself at the moment. <laughs> this takes all of the time. Because at least then there's, there's, there's an understanding of the expectation of, of what you're stepping kind of into. Yeah. But I think Focus in a Bottle is so lovely because I love the fact that it's sort of, I mean, obviously it doesn't all fit into a suitcase. <laughs> but a good proportion of it fits inside a suitcase, like a traveling, you know, a carpet bagger. <laughs> to take it back to that kind of, you know, that period that it's talking about. There's something really sort of beautiful about that and transient about that. That was actually a very big part of it. So as we said, uh, when we originally did it, we had someone design us like a massive wooden box. So we were like, that will be our traveling venue. Uh, the box wasn't particularly well made and actually infamously broke and like cut my arm open just before a show. Uh, we, we, it was a show we were doing in Brighton and I was like, I'm fine. And Rob was like, you're wearing a white shirt. And I was like, let's go fix this. Um, so we actually had a very therapeutic, let's smash the box and throw it, <laughs> throw it away. And so we were, we were sitting, we were sitting sort of like going, do we keep going with this? Do we, you know, sort of like, and Rob was like, I can't, we can't keep moving that box. And I'm trying to remember which theatre does it, but they had like the suitcase award where the idea was you could fit everything. And I said, well, wouldn't that be fun? And Rob just stared at me and went, well, you've just solved it. And I was like, hooray. <laughs> uh, so yes, no, that was very much the, um, considering that we've had to lug that suitcase around as we're trying to fit everything in. One day, one day we might get it to a point where literally everything fits in. But actually like when we were doing the get out, there wasn't a lot of other baggage everything kind of just yeah. you know slipped in which i think it's quite fun and also a bit silly you just go okay we'll set ourselves a challenge of like how small and compact can we make this that mm -hmm. i mean we could fit it, we could fit the show in the back of a in a car boot which is great you know just this, rather than us like previously we were having to rent like like a, a lorry to carry these huge wooden planks with us. But uh, yes, that idea of also sort of like bending into the aesthetic of the show, you said that mm -hmm. carpet bagger kind of like, mm -hmm. and like where we were doing the show was in the crypt in Bethnal Green. So it was that same sort of thing of just a bit like in the vaults where you're just like going, there's an otherworldly nature to this, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so everything's a bit cold and, and I suddenly just appear from behind you like, where's he been? You know, why is, why is he hiding? But actually, um, you your work is unusual within the context to a lot of other work, because I know that a lot of other practitioners that I've talked to really struggle to move the work around, especially immersive theatre, because they're enormous they're often site responsive they have huge casts huge amounts of stuff that you know builds those worlds and they can't move and so there's something i think well worth other people having a look at is just that ethos of being able to fit it inside something like a suitcase mm. that can be moved and i do one-on-one -on -one work and actually the shows that we developed in for brighton and for those things we got to the point where they fitted into three little cardboard boxes that we would take around and the whole thing sort of was maneuverable because it was me and three cardboard boxes basically but they were part of the show and part of the aesthetic too um but there's very little immersive work that is portable i would say in the way that your work is portable and i think also like when we're talking to marketing it's 
being careful we don't fall into the hole of us just going, oh, we could do the show anywhere, because that just could sound a bit glib. But we're like, like we've done it in the back room of a pub, <laughs> you know, like Christmas dinner is being served, you know, a couple of feet away, and it's me just sort of going, let me tell you some stories. But yes, I think, again, as you said, I think there's a real... And also sort of like say, you know, sort of like having come up through like university, that's a good thing to tell students as well to go, if you could make something which is very portable, like um, I, I with um, some friends from uni, I do a mama's show every year, which has got huh? that same, yeah, that's so that same sort of aesthetic of like, we're going to basically have what we have on our backs, disguise mm -hmm. ourselves, but also with the possibility of just going, oh, if the police come along. <laughs> which is like, oh, no. yeah, <laughs> I've just got, a, I've got a broom. I'm just a man doing some sweeping. You can't, you can't fault me. Um, <laughs> yes, but um, I mean, this is this has been the fascinating thing. Like uh, for Robin myself, like we've made these decisions and then sort of retroactively gone. Oh, actually, that was actually a very good <laughs> choice. You know, <laughs> it's always like we know what we're doing, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's been it's been fascinating watching the progress and um, sort of like said from like having a massive wooden box to like we did do an online version which was me hiding underneath a kitchen table and rob in like a morph suit doing motion capture to play you know to play my assistant which was lovely that when we did q a and then i'll be like hi and then rob's just in his completely trashed room because he's moved everything he's like hi guys <laughs> Good. did you enjoy yourselves um but yeah so like watching watching this progress over the last five years and then mm -hmm. and also like i said like the script hasn't changed hugely that's been the nice thing it's sort of like being able to refine it and work with it and mm -hmm. especially with sort of like with this sort of more interactive stuff and then just sort of like having moments of going do you enjoy this good but i think uh as i said i am a little bit chaotic and then just sort of a little bit like going keep it on the rails <laughs> you're enjoying yourself great now just keep keep it going you've got a you've got a sad story to tell just work towards that but uh it's, We're having fun, which is nice. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you want to have fun. You want audiences yeah. to have to have fun as well. Yeah. So, talk, hearing you talk a little bit about the process, um, how do you how do you mitigate in your development process? Where, where I mean, for the lack of audience, where do you start? Do you start with the tech? Do you start with the script? Do you start with the structure or an idea? So, how does it get from a kind of idea into being, you know, that suitcase that I encountered in the crypt? Um, I think it's just, well, first of all, figuring out what the story is that you want to tell. Um, so for, I mean, this was very interesting for us because we we basically were sort of challenged to uh, find a way of, of um, telling these circus history stories. Like it wasn't as as cut and dry as that. It wasn't that, that uh, Helen and the rest of the team said, this is what you're going to do. But that was kind of this invitation that existed. And we're like, yeah, let's, let's try mm -hmm. that. So through mm -hmm. finding those stories, because I mean, the research we did, some of that stuff is fascinating and horrific. And um, uh, yeah, like a lot of it is very racist, but then also a lot of it is very much about kind of like uh, allowing for those, um, those outsiders and those marginalized communities. And, and through all of this, we sort of narrowed down to this idea of, of a simple story, like a uh, uh, yeah, a son and his relationship with his now gone in whatever way you interpret that uh, father, um, and so that's that's what sort of narrowed down uh, what the story would be. And that wasn't until several iterations of the technology. <laughs> that wasn't we'd done lots of stuff and we'd just kind of thrown things at the wall and experimented and and uh, tried it in front of audiences until we got to like 
okay, that's the core. Now let's get rid of everything that doesn't serve that. But do you, do you beta test with audiences then? Do you get sort of bodies in to yeah. test as you yeah. develop on? Yeah, warm flesh, as uh, we, we glibly refer to it. <laughs> Um, but that can be that can be anyone. I mean, with this, you know, if that is your your flatmate or your parents or whoever's in the room, um, mm -hmm. I think yeah. So much of the time with technology, because it's all about testing and iterating, testing and iterating, testing and iterating. Because you may come up with something, and then the way that you navigate around it seems perfectly clear and obvious to you. And then you give it to someone else, and they literally just push it over, and you go, oh, I didn't really, you know. <laughs> going back to the doorknob uh, um, story, it's like. Yeah, people can and will interact with this in the way that makes sense to them. Uh, and the mm -hmm. only way to really understand what that will be is to, yeah. Try it. Warm, <laughs> warm flesh in the, in the kit. Bodies through. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also sort of like uh, with the show where we had a point where there's like, not to spoil, like so it looks like rose petals are falling and someone's like, oh my God, he's bleeding. And we we're like, <laughs> I saw look over Rob and Rob's like, I'm going to change it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> Just, but because that is that is the sort of thing that you you've we've done this show so many times, and then one person comes in and goes, "Well, that looks that looks wrong," or like again, sort of like testing it. Where we had someone who just like in very early stages went. Should I've been able to see anything because it was just black the entire time, and I was like, oh, no. "Yes, <laughs> yes, you." Did. So no, we got you here to sit with just. Listen Darkness to the entire yeah. time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, uh, also, sort of like from that, there was quite a sweet note, which I think uh, I think Rob can back this up. But with a lot of like sort of VR stuff, it can be quite scary, you know, it's going to be like, oh, there's jump scares or stuff, but mm, uh, that's the easiest thing to do, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, jump scare you yeah. pull up that you pull up the visor, and it's like, here's a clown. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, there's <laughs> to use like film terminology there's mild peril in our show but that same idea of just going i'm not going to jump at you i'm not going to grab you you know sort of like you're very which i think is quite a nice sort of and it's what i personally try to do in my stuff where i'm like okay weird stuff's going to happen to me but you're in a safe pair of hands i'm not going to try and yeah. embarrass you too much or yeah well the circus itself has peril doesn't it? Yes, but it, absolutely. But it, because it, that's what's exhilarating mm. and titillating mm. is is that that peril. And mm. I did think that the show managed to capture a little bit of that. But like you said, <laughs> not in that jump scare mm. kind of way. And actually, the little character is so. And again, I don't want to do spoilers because I'm assuming you're carrying on taking your suitcase around. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so adorable. Mm. But for me, I loved, and I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on how this happened, but the beautiful things that you made that that integrated with the technology was actually what made the show so endearing and so enjoyable was these gorgeous sort of worn out tactile objects that really did have a sense of connection to circus and to, uh, certainly to all of my memories of circus as a child and so I wanted to find out about how how that process developed sort of these beautiful tactile objects in relation then to that te technology what sort of came first did you have the story then built objects or did did those things happen more organically it was actually through some of our user testing where someone said like before we had any anything at all and someone said uh yeah i really wish i could have you know reached out and and touched monty and squeezed him and we're like well you can't do that but like what can you do like you know to give that like you know, almost like a 
uh, a haptic proxy to give you something that you can touch and feel um, because yeah when you make a little kind of um, uh, play-doh person at the beginning of the show that is you have that idea of that feeling of that touch and um, being able to sort of like yeah uh, craft a little being uh, and then when a being appears you know you have that connection in your brain to when you were when you were touching it when it was an actual physical thing um, and and so then it just extended from there and like okay what other physical things can we bring in um, and yeah, the props. Um, so uh, a wonderful maker down in Brighton called uh, a vet's little papa. I believe littlepapa.com maybe our website. <laughs> Consult the notes. I'm just writing that down because I loved those things. I thought they were absolutely mm. gorgeous, and they were very reminiscent of, of those early flea flea yes. kind of circus shows. They were so cute. I loved them. Uh, and so part of that came from like uh, an early because for those listening, we sort of like we have a tightrope and like in early versions, it was I would take my belt off, get the audience to hold it and it would walk along. And this was part of us sort of like try, which again is quite a nice visual thing, but it's also quite hard to guarantee that, you know, Monty's in the right place for that. And so then. Uh, again, we we're like, okay, how can we simplify it? Make it, keep it simple, stupid, back to that. And then just going, oh, but we can still make, have like very beautiful moments of that sort of preparing this tightrope. And as we said, these beautiful <laughs> tactile things where just like placing it and watching it. And then of course, a large part of this is that I'm not wearing the goggles. So I'm like, I'm relying on a lot of like head movement to go, that looks like heads who seem enchanted. <laughs> that person is just staring up at the ceiling. I don't, I don't think they quite understand what's happening, but uh, yes. <laughs> that is challenging, isn't it? I'm, I haven't done it with VR, but um, in my own work, I use audio binaural stuff mm. quite a lot in cooperation with live. And so from the moment of me pressing play, I have to usually count to know when to do certain things or certain actions. So you're completely working blind, effectively mm. reliant on the fact that that track has continued to play. Cause like you said, people will just sit there and after 10 minutes will be like, should I be hearing something? And they're like, yes. yes. I'm <laughs> no, glad you had a nice little set. For no reason whatsoever, just because I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> so how is that Tom mm. sort of trying to manage as an actor or as a performer that that distinct because obviously you can't see what they're seeing mm. a lot of times in the show what's it like having to navigate that it's it's not the easiest um we've tried some various ways of handling it such as sort of like giving me like a small phone on the side so i can see it uh but that was mm. part of the thing where sort of uh, when we were testing it we were like well and also sort of like we're not quite seeing what they're seeing and then also sort of like there's the fun of me just kind of having to be on my feet you know as a sort of let's say empresario style character just going everything is fine everything is wonderful and I am great at what I do but that same sort of like I mean there's also sort of high points where I'm like okay this is like a very visually impressive thing that everyone usually reacts to <laughs> and then all gasp or like uh sort of say there's a bit where you're like oh everyone is going to suddenly turn to look over there because things are moving over there mm -hmm. and then when you see things where people are just not moving and i'm like um <laughs> rob I, I to catch <laughs> which i appreciate which is beautiful and also sort of like actually after that where we sort of like went i was like okay everything's fine can everyone just get their hands ready <laughs> which of course if you're thinking of like playfulness where you're like oh i don't quite if you built into this you're like 
Okay, yeah, I'll cut my hands. Is something going to fall on my hands? Are they going to drop something from the ceiling? Which is, um, on the whole, it's sort of, a lot of it is <laughs> just making it up, really, and just going, keep keep it keep it going. That's sort of like, and, but yes, no, just uh, like like any, any show where you're just going, this person is having absolutely no reaction. I don't know if they're just very stoic or they're not having fun or they, you know, it's sort of like we had that and that person came over and was like, I very much enjoyed that. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you um, it's, it's again, it's a, it's a fun challenge. I think like with my own sort of previous work, I'm very used to sort of doing, like I said, the relational kind of bit on one-on-one kind of like looking you in the eyes and going, yeah, do you want to do this? Um, but then that's sort of like, like in the show, because everyone's wearing these visors. And I'm like, you all seem ready with your big, bright eyes full of excitement. <laughs> it's just these robot eyes just stare at me. I'm like, yep, this is, this is fun. No, so it's, uh, it's, it's a very different, and I like, like with a lot of immersive stuff where you go, okay, it's, it's a different type of challenge, you know? Yeah. So like you're yeah. using a different component of your brain. And also, so like, I'd say with this, rather than say of like immersive shows where that was more so, oh, choose your own, of paths this is you can interact with it but i still need to be able to go i'm going to tell you a story and here's some visually exciting stuff yeah. <laughs> if you're not on board with that you're probably not going to have <laughs> as much fun enjoy your mint though <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so i wanted to um just talk a little bit about one of the other parts of sort of your remit as, as a company and what you're trying to do which is open up accessibility so do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing to do that and sort of what your your ultimate hopes are in getting to underserved audiences yeah i mean that for us at the moment and considering the last two years is like very much one of our aspirations that has been hard to to action um yeah. Yeah. and i mean it it all comes from the fact that most of this work the main place to display it is at festivals, festivals in, in metropolitan areas. So, I mean, in the UK, you've got stuff like uh, Sheffield Dock Fest. They've had a an XR element for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, London Film Festival have opened one up. Um, mm -hmm. There's uh, one in Nottingham as well, I do believe. Yeah, but that is basically mm -hmm. like the only kind of, for, for a long time, that's the only place you would go to, to see this stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, one of the, the best pieces of, of kind of feedback or advice that we got uh, about this show in particular is that it was like very much an end of the peer show and we love that idea of like you know yes. uh, of something that's very small and transportable and is cheap enough to run so we can take it out to to yeah to shopping centers to the end of peers to places where people are and just pop up and do it and have it be available um, and that's part of what we're planning with you know taking this out on the road is being able to do that um, I wonder, just thinking, and <clears throat> I've been having some conversations with different people about this um, recently, you know, with the the emptying out of the high street, um, it seems to me that there's definitely some opportunity potentially there, and especially with work that is portable, like you said, taking taking it to where people are yeah. seems like the, mo the most obvious thing to do but in, with a lot of immersive work that is, it just isn't possible mm. but I think with the kind of work especially Circus in the Bottle I think that could be done and I love the idea of being able to sit on you know Worthing Pier or Blackpool Pier mm. or Brighton Pier and I think it would add because it has those sounds and those smells in the site itself yeah but um, I guess really the biggest thing you need is electric access to electricity right uh no we could 
we could do the show without because uh, yeah i mean we'd need to charge things up but technically we could you know everything yeah. everything does run off of a of, of battery power so oh, okay you know? so that that gives you even more flexibility yeah. then doesn't yeah. it wow that's awesome <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the other side of that coin in terms of, of getting making that available is to actually kind of inspire other people to pick up this work to sort of be mm. very open about the way that we make things because yeah, I mean we're you know we're a very small company mm. and so we can't be that change, you know, that nationwide change of making this stuff available. But what we can mm. do is be very open uh, and you know, like anyone who wants to talk to me about this stuff, I'm always more than happy to. And, you know, giving guidance, and, and sometimes that guidance is, you know, as we heard earlier, like this is going to be tough and difficult <laughs> and you're going to need to <laughs> need to be passionate about it. Um, but also like, yeah, showing people um, the starting point because, you know, I'm, I, for, for all of the development work that I do, um, I haven't done any formal education. Like YouTube has been where I've learned my skills um, and that stuff is free and like you know so the two kind of major game engines that use to develop this stuff which is unity and unreal those are free software you know you only have to start paying for them if you make x amount of hundreds of thousands of pounds mm -hmm. um you know as i said before you can go on ebay and pick up uh, probably like the original quest headset for you know 100 quid um this yeah but even just you saying that i think is so valuable because i'm not sure necessarily people know that know that those mm. those sorts of engines and platforms are there that can do the heavy lifting you, know, you don't have to be a code you don't have to be a games designer to do these things anymore but again it's getting that knowledge out into the community and just empowering people to know that it's there and yeah. sometimes even just like you said you know a conversation with you might give someone the, the courage or give someone to get up and go to to, to access those things and to do those things. And so I think the more we talk about it, the more likely it is to happen. And apparently, um, I don't have much to do with Arts Council um, at the moment, but the remit is to start getting work outside of London. And I do believe the new funding streams are really about that. So well worth having a look at, I guess, if you're trying to get your work outside of those metropolitan areas. But yours just seems ideal for coast. I mean, what an amazing tour that would be to just go around the coast, the coast of Britain. And yeah. <laughs> um, we're also thinking about like sort of the weird sort of like energy that spaces have where you're like, mm -hmm. these are where these great performers, you know, 150 years ago, and then there's here. So that's just, and because that was been the great thing that sort of like, I said, as soon as we started researching and just sort of like going, uh, because, um, like we did a bit of an R&D in Portsmouth and then sort of like we were like oh let's start looking into this and we we're like ah you know sort of actually sort of the the gentleman who helped create the Theatre Royal he was a circus empresario who then was like I want to bring good honest Christian work to to the city and then we went to his grave and then of course it turned out he had like a secret wife and like yeah. an illegitimate child and we we're just sort of like oh, all these stories all these are like amazing things that unfortunately you don't get to hear but that's sort of like for me personally that's sort of that great thing of like going, oh we're going to you know Leamington on spa oh right okay so there's this there's that you know just sort of yeah that would no, be just... amazing wouldn't it if you could go to those places and incorporate some of those stories like the actual local stories that have a relationship in what you're doing Absolutely. and of course you know Tom you're in Portsmouth and I know Portsmouth very well too um, and there's so many wonderful little places in Portsmouth to be able to do those things and every seaside town has them uh, especially the Victorian kind of yes yeah. 
seaside towns have these incredible histories and spaces. And um, so, yeah, I will keep my eye on sort of what you're doing. So I wanted to bring it around to the question that I ask every single person that I talk to. I mean, this is going to be episode 31. So it's getting, <laughs> there's quite a lot of conversations now. And I ask everybody this. What do you think about the word immersive or the term of immersive? And where do you sort of locate yourselves to it? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now, where I turned that was everyone just goes quiet. Yeah. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Again, sort of, it's it's diff it's difficult, and I think uh, again, sort of like having been to various conferences where people, there doesn't seem to be like a unifying, like <laughs> let's say book, you know, where you're like, then this is sort of like, and, no, what I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Janet, if you could please, please, if you could just bring these disparate tribes together, I'm so we can. Have, yeah. I am work. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I've got it open in the background mm. as we speak, so I, I am. Yeah. I am working on it. Thank you, because that's just again we're sort of like, and I think I think that's the wonderful thing that sort of like going a lot of people have a lot of opinions, mm. and are like and also where you be like where you inadvertently insult people, you're like oh like this, and they're like absolutely not they like not? that. <laughs> yeah, well, because like I said, like when I was sort of like when people were like oh you know immersive is only like. 20 years old and I'm like well I've just said that I'm looking at things from the 1960s you know the happenings or yeah. earlier you know so like or like I said like mummery you know is that oh, yeah, exactly. you, know, right, yeah. like, you know right yeah. back to Dionysus maybe even yes exactly it's so frustrating when people are like oh it's yeah. gimmicky and it's new and I'm like no no it's not. no and it's not. <laughs> and even like I said, like one my entry into it was my father got kidnapped during a pantomime, <laughs> and then I was just like, um, but I, I think for this, sort of like, sort of when we're trying to slightly jump through the hoops, like with circus, where we're trying to say maybe we're more interactive than we are immersive, you know, sort yeah. of like, yeah. um, where you're kind of, I think that's the problem where you're sure, like you're you're on the tightrope, really. Where people are like, "How dare you claim it's this?" You're like, well, "We're just trying to use terminology," you know. Sort of. Um, yeah, and I think there is a conflation, and it's something I'm trying to pull apart at the moment between interactive and immersive, because there's an assumption mm. that if it's immersive, there's interactivity, which actually there isn't always. No. And sometimes if it's interactive, it's immersive too, and sometimes it's not. And so, all of these huge and disparate practices sort of nestle under this massive umbrella that just needs a little bit of picking through because at the moment it is a marketing tool the long and short of it is nearly everyone I talk to say even if we hate it it is still a marketing tool that audiences recognize and and so yeah. it's used often in that way and I think yeah it is quite fun as you said like piecing it out when someone's like this is an immersive dining experience and you're like right what do you think that means <laughs> are people going to come talk to me or is it site responsive that you're just like yeah we're just eating in like the, ar the arches of a, a station you're like right mm -hmm. um, surely all dining experiences are immersive <laughs> you know, the food is really there yeah, you're really yeah. <laughs> when i'm eating yeah. my fish and chips at my house by myself on a friday i'm definitely there <laughs> you're the responding chips. to the space and the smells and the well we had yeah. a we had a friend uh, when we were doing our ma who sort of like go well you're saying immersive I mean, do you want to do stuff in a swimming pool? And I went, absolutely, yes. <laughs> I want to do a swimming show. We're <laughs> just getting everyone in floaties and just going, hello. <laughs> 
let's just talk about ships. I'm just sort of floating around in a rubber ring. And I was like, yeah, but I think, I think this is the sort of the, the strange thing where it's sort of like, if you're thinking about like, almost like tears where I was sort of like, okay, I, I started getting into this sort of 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's sort of become older school, you know, pushed back or like shunt, for example, you know, yeah. which, which of course, like for, for us, sort of like, we're like, oh yeah, that was like a huge thing. Nowadays, a lot of like up and coming people are like, oh no, that's history. I don't know. I don't know about that. Never heard of it. You know, and just like, oh no, oh no, we're aging. I'm <laughs> you know? old. What's I'm old. Born? <laughs> I'm becoming, I'm becoming a grand master. Of, you know, so I'm like, oh yes, back in those days. Back in the days. Yes. And <laughs> I, I think also it's it's a case of, as we said, sort of like not pulling the ladder up after us, and you know, yeah. just going, yeah, okay, cool. We we learnt from seeing these shows. What is it you've got? And rather than just go, oh well, you're obviously just doing this again. You're going, no, that's great. This is how you're discovering this. This is amazing. And I think. Mm-hmm. Also, especially, and I'm sure Rob will talk more about this, but that sort of idea of like, going, okay, we're, we're combining the immersive and the tech. Mm-hmm. People can get very snobby about the tech and then just go, actually, like we said, we're doing it for, for our reason is, you know, the Pepper's Ghost kind of effect. And yeah. also sort of like going, I can't do these things, but Monty here can. There's good reason for it rather than, and I won't say too much on this. Let's say other shows who have just put like, like virtual reality in because it looks impressive and you know it's a bit snazzy where we're like no this is could the show work without it possibly would it be as good absolutely not and then no, just sort of like, I, I don't agree think? I think without without that tech circus in a bottle would be something extremely different and I, absolutely I, it's that really lovely but because it is necessary to that experience that the audience has and the storytelling and encountering the stories in that way. But it is that that connection between the material objects and the props and the VR. Mm-hmm. So I think it is integral to sort of what you're doing. And I think um, uh, ZUK's show, Good Night Sleep Tight was the same. It, was, it wasn't VR for the sake of having flashy VR, it was absolutely integrated with the haptics of the body and because that was a combination like your show of of the vr of live performers and of sort of um space as well and so i think when 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 that sort of holy trinity comes together that does create something kind of magical and actually in the best stuff the tech you forget the tech and, and the tech should sort of facilitate the experience and it's the experience that you remember so even like at the end of sex in the bottle i thought i could smell burning which is insane and again i not too many spoilers but i (laughs) genuinely thought i could smell burning like um with dark field radios Mm. one of their shows i did keep opening my eyes because i genuinely thought someone had got into bed with me (laughs) (laughs) and i thought i could Mm. feel their breath because Mm. again it's the integration of the tech to facilitate the experience mm. rather than the tech being the thing that's focused on. My thought circus in a bottle managed that very well to let the oh. tech, even though you're wearing it on your head, you know, it should be something that you're really, whenever I've done VR things before, I've been very acutely aware, mm. which brings me out of being immersed. Mm. I have this heavy restrictive thing on my face, um, but I didn't feel that as much. And I wonder if it's because of that integration with the site, with the props, with the live performer who's engaging. And so I think 
when all of that comes together, the tech kind of flips <laughs> to the back and just does its job, which is facilitating the experience. Which is, I think, what we want, really, isn't it? You know, sort of like, yeah, to not sort of, again, and then, but not have someone just going, I was just sitting in the dark for 10 minutes. You're like, then why did you say nothing? Say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever people uh, object to like technology and performance, which is an argument I've heard many times, it's, you know, the, the easier rebuttal to that is simply, well, there is technology in all performance, you know, microphones, lights, these are pieces of technology, and they work because they're not the focus. They work because they're ubiquitous and they fall back and they make the, the, the performance yes. and the art um, the, the sort of prevalent thing. Um, and yeah, that's... Theatre's always ride on new technology. I mean, at Absolutely. one point, can candles were technology mm. in the theatre. <laughs> and people were angry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The fact that it had moved inside buildings <laughs> was an, an annoyance. So I think I think there is a, a fascination because when tech is new, people get really caught up in tech, and it's like hmm. actually the technology serves a, a, a function; it serves a purpose. And like you say, uh, Rob, it it should slip into the background when it's doing its job really well. Okay, so what? are your future plans what are you are you carrying on touring sex in a bottle what what's next for trajectory so yeah we want to keep uh keep going out um so we learned so much because as i said like for a long time even when we're doing some real experiments for people we learned so much by actually having it in the space for a week um we have an idea for extending it out um we want to sort of add to the the sort of the value of the, the thing that we are presenting to audiences because right now it's quite a short show it's kind of like you know in in situations where people have to come all the way out for it we want to make sure that they, they get value uh for that investment of time so we're, we're thinking of different ways that we can expand it and extend it we want to be able to bring in actual live circus uh performers mm. to kind of be part of that that final package so that you know that we have that circus history, we have the live <laughs> yeah. circus with all these other things going on um so we just need to figure out the right uh, audience journey to make that all work um, mm -hmm. and we're going to continue to sort of um uh, perform it in in its current state and learn from that and change and tweak um yeah I'm, me, I'm, I'm constantly tweaking um you know like <laughs> with yeah with these builds and the technical stuff i'm like oh i can do that i could change that fiddling i'm an absolute fiddler i'm a world <laughs> champion fiddler <laughs> <laughs> and what's the best way for people because um to keep up with what you're doing because obviously you've got the website but i've noticed a lot of companies don't update their websites very often so what's the best <laughs> way for people to sort of keep up on the news of what uh, trajectory is up to definitely twitter so that is let me just look it up to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> like all good things where we had like names and then it was like someone else has taken it and you're like oh, okay fine yeah they do it with a random collection of letters and you're like i'm never yeah. going to remember that when people ask yeah. me <laughs> um, our trajectory all one word on twitter excellent um, brilliant so if, if you're listening and you want to find out what trajectory you're up to and you want to get tickets and things keep an eye on twitter and uh all the news and information will come up on there. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to speak with me today. There's a, a hundred other things we could talk about, um, but there will be other opportunities, I'm absolutely sure, to continue some of these conversations. And um, it is good to hear people saying that they want 
what I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a little bit of a, like, we need uniting <laughs> again. It's like it's like Game of Thrones. I was watching like disparate people going, well, I would never use that term, and why are we talking about Disney? And we're like, all of us, shh, shh. <laughs> there will be there will be a tome that we can consult. It's okay. <laughs> Just okay, chill. Pull it all Ooh. together. But uh, it's uh, unfortunately the one thing about academic anything is that it's really slow. The process of doing things is super slow. You know, a book coming out in a year is quick. So the likelihood is this will be uh, probably mid 2024, realistically. It would have been written well before then, but um, for anyone who isn't involved in academic publishing, you probably don't realise that things go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for about a year after you've done the final manuscript until you actually get a final manuscript. So it's time consuming. <laughs> That's why I'm always so bloody busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and chatting. And no doubt we will, our paths will cross, I would think, with everything that's going to be happening quite a lot in the future and um it's been lovely talking to you so thank you very much thank you thank you being amazing i really hope you enjoyed that episode i certainly enjoyed recording it so thank you very much tom and rob for a cracking conversation I have been alluding to lots of exciting things for a couple of months now that I have promised that I would tell you about. So here we are. We are probably at the point where I can tell you about some of the exciting things that have been going on behind the scenes. So the first exciting thing is, as you all know, I have been working on, well, I'm actually working on three book projects. I can't talk about two of them, but I can certainly talk about one of them. So I have been working with Bloomsbury over the last sort of year and a half, along with lots of the people that I've spoken to on this very podcast. And the book that we have pulled together, which is called Talking About Immersive Theatre, Conversations on Immersions and Interactivities in Performance, is finally going into production on the 23rd of May and will hopefully be published on the 12th of January next year. So I am super excited. So much hard work has gone into bringing that book to fruition and I can finally talk about it and tell you about it. So that's going to be with Bloomsbury. And um, as things progress through the production stages and I look at proofs and we get confirmation of exactly when it's going to be published, um, I will share that with you so that you can... Uh, Grab yourself a copy of that if you want to when it comes out, which is super exciting. Yay. Um, the other thing that I have been working on is I'm currently collaborating with several different people who work in the immersive creative sector here in the UK. And over the last six months, we have been beavering away in the background to create something called the Immersive Experience Network. And we actually have our first sort of large scale event which is the live immersive experience summit on the 31st of May so that has been keeping us all extremely busy and we're super excited to be able to do that first event and I can actually now tell you about it so I, I will put the details um, in the description so that you can click on it we don't actually have a lot of tickets left um, so if you do want one, you're going to have to be fairly swift in um, picking one up because there really aren't many left at all. But also, you know, if, if, if you're someone that wants to engage with the network or someone should be involved in the network, then, you know, 
we have the website, we have contact, please reach out to us as we try and build something over the next three years to build some infrastructure, visibility and credibility for the UK immersive experience sector, which is really exciting. So I'm hoping there's going to be a lot more news about that coming your way. But yeah, the first big thing is this summit on the 31st of May. So really excited. Um, the other exciting thing, which, which isn't really news or something I've been keeping secret, but um, I have got lots of conversations lined up with makers, some quite big names too. So over the coming months, I'm going to be bringing some really wonderful conversations to you. And um, I am going to tout my Tate wares at the Immersive Summit so that I can keep bringing you some of the key people who are making work in the immersive experience space. Um, apologies to anybody who is listening from foreign shores and I know that there are lots of you. Um, we're not doing anything online or hybrid for this particular event but we are and have plans to extend the network out from the UK as things progress. So if you are interested or you just want to kind of touch base about it, please again, do just get in touch. It'd be fabulous. And um, the other thing as well, if I've had quite a few, um, I'm assuming listeners, reach out to me from the United States, um, very, very kindly offering for me to attend your work and to chat with you if I'm ever in the vicinity. I don't have plans to be in the States um, in the immediate future, but because there's so many of you reaching out to me now and so much amazing work happening um, outside of the UK, I do have some plans and some cogs turning in the background to see if there's any way that I can kind of facilitate um, a trip outside of the UK to see what everyone else is doing. So thank you so much for reaching out to me. I absolutely please keep reaching out to me, even if you're not UK based, because the more and more of you do it, the more ammunition I have for research funding applications to be able to get myself out to see your work and to talk to you about the amazing things that you're doing. This is a much longer outro than normal, so I do apologise, but um, that, that's pretty much, I think, covers all of the news that I had to share with you. And I will put any links that I have in the description so that you can click through and see the different things that I've been up to and the different initiatives that I am involved in. So as usual, if you're listening and you're someone that I should be talking to or someone's work that I should be encountering or seeing, please do just get in touch. There's so many different ways that you can do that. And I'll put my email in the description too so that you can contact me and I just you know even if you're just someone who listens and loves immersive theatre and interactive theatre I also really love to hear your thoughts too so until um, next month when there's definitely some exciting content going to be coming your way I am going to say toodaloo